says, get that India, big boy. All right, Craig, we're here live from Jack's Bar and Grill in the post-game of Parramatta's round 11 loss to the Canberra Raiders, and there's no way to sugarcoat this one. That was a soft, soft defeat. Well, mate, because it was so emotional to have that, a loss like that, we've had, to, we've had to call on the interchange bench. The sort of fresh blood you love to see. <laughs> so we've got Jeremy here, who's a, uh, a regular listener to the podcast, and he's joining us here. Jeremy, welcome. <laughs> Thanks for uh, having me, boys. Uh, great honour to uh, finally receive my uh, call-up to the first grade team. Uh, it's a huge honour to be up here with you, boys. <laughs> well, mate, the way, that, the way that we're going at the moment, we, you might be taking over full-time. I reckon you probably bring a bit more energy in defence at the very <laughs> least. So, <laughs> oh. Mate, it, it, we need to get the season on track. It just didn't happen tonight. John, can you give, just give us some basic stats just to start things off? Let's start with the scorer sheep, boys. Paramaterials falling to the Raiders, 26 to 18, four tries to three. Jermaine Hopgood getting his first try as a Paramaterial. He was actually the first try scorer in this one, 32nd minute. He was joined on the scorer sheet by Bowie Simonson and Mike Acevo. Quinton Gufferson, two from three off the try conversions, one from one on the penalty goals. And in a way, goal kicking still without Mitchell Moses even causing pressure for the Eels on the scoreboard. That miss from Gufferson off the upright, proving... Critical in the context of the flow of the game when it happened, Craig. On the flip side, the Raiders, they scored for Albert Hopawade, Hudson Young, Sebastian Chris, and then Matthew Tomoko. Still in the deal in the 74th minute. Croker, three from four in terms of try conversions. Two from two if the penalty goals. Corey Horsburgh had a stint in the sin bin in the 22nd minute. Looking at the team stats quickly, as we drop down here, well, possession in favour of the Canberra Raiders, 56% to 44. Really in that third quarter. I know at half time it was... Uh, was it about uh, 46%. 46% to the Eels, 54 to the Raiders. But that third quarter of the game was where the Raiders really ran away with possession. Uh, time of possession plus six minutes. That's a big one right there. Uh, Raiders completing very efficiently, 86%. The Eels went from 81% at half time right down to 63%. So to pull it down to 63%, you know how bad the conversions, uh, conversion rate and completion rate must have been in the second half. Uh, Raiders just ahead on run metres by 30, even less, 26 metres, despite the uh, possession and time of possession advantage. So the Eels actually were right in this game on the ground, but again, those big moments going the wrong way. Eels ahead on line breaks. NRL.com's got them down 5-2, to two, but I think Fox Sports had them at 6-2 to two, uh, by the end of the game. So another crazy stat with Eels had the ascendancy, but aren't completing uh, or converting those opportunities into points. Tackle breaks favour the Raiders, 27 to 18. Average play, the ball speed, way in Canberra's favour, 329 to over four seconds to the Parramatta Eels. And then there's some other miscellaneous stats, but the big one and the one that we were okay, talking no, about. No, no, but I want the stinger first. <laughs> you cannot be serious. I haven't got it on me right now live, but uh, we'll, we'll, put it, we'll put it in a post because, yeah, getting to the big one and like effective tackle rate between the two teams, almost identical. So they were, even as bad as the Eels were defensively, that wasn't the big difference. Discipline. The Parramatta Eels, who were a top-two discipline team coming into this game, well, they got out-panalised 10-3 in the contest. And that really was as bad as Parramatta's defence was. 
that was the other part of the tale of the tape here. Mate, 10 to 3 penalty count. Okay, there were some obvious penalties that the Eels gave away, but there was plenty that the Eels didn't get in return. Especially and that's in the where we've got that's where I've got the biggest gripe when you when you have a match that's refereed in that way. And let's get straight to the point. We have a forty percent a forty percent win record under Grant Atkins. Forty percent. Now most referees it balances out. You talk about swings and roundabouts with referees. A lot of referees, their records with teams will be just above or just below 50%, right? It's, you might get a team who, like uh, Penrith over the last few years where the win rate under different referees is going to be high because their, their win rate themselves is dominant, high. Yeah. So basically whoever referees them is going to be refereeing a Panthers and, and win. And th- those swings come and with the roundabouts when your team's poor and you'll have the losses under those referees because of that. But, yeah, when you're sort of, a, I'd say, on a, like a plus or minus 5% delta on... 50%, that's when you start raising your eyebrow a bit at refereeing. Yeah, so look, my, my issue was that, I mean, we weren't good enough to defend the penalties that came against us because at least three of the Raiders' tries came directly on the back of a penalty that piggybacked them downfield and they got, uh, they got the try off the, off, the, off the next set, the penalty set. The only one that didn't was the Sebastian Chris one which I think was the set after the Hudson Young try after half-time. Jeremy, you, I, I noticed you were, you were getting incredibly frustrated during that match with the, the flow of the penalties. Give us your, give us your takes. What, what, what was, for you, the key point of difference between the teams tonight... And, and, I mean, you can be as blunt about the Eels' performance as you want because we're going to get stuck into some of the performances of Eels' players, but... For you, what's your, what's your instant take right now? Well, just to add to the refereeing, I feel the same towards uh, Grant Atkins. It's uh, frustrating every time we have him. It seems a couple of times he's just guessing out there. At least for me, it's very frustrating because the first one where in the first half, I think we had Junior Paulo put on report. And for me, I'm sort of asking that, um, how much of that is based on reputation because I'm not really sure what Junior Paulo was supposed to do in that one. And then... The sec, uh, when Horsburgh was sent to the bin, it almost looked like he was thinking for a moment he's going to send Maddo as well. So for me, that's really frustrating. And for me, to answer the question, it's just us not being able to put these chances away. We had that crazy stat before where the Eels were completing at, what, 80% in the first half, and then we dropped to about 60%. We had so many chances in that second half, and we just weren't able to put them away. Even at the end, at the death, Penasini kicks the ball dead. Probably not going to win the game from that stage, but gives yourself a chance and there's so many of those chances half chances that we just can't put away at the moment yeah and and we should point out as well that when we're talking about a referee and our record under a certain referee it's obvious we're not talking about that there's anything untoward going on but it's just that he's obviously a referee that doesn't like the way Parramatta plays football like he finds fault uh, look I find Grant Atkins to be a re- relatively pedantic Referee, like he's he's one who will give, uh, who will rule a lot of penalties during the game. It's just that he find he does seem to find fault with Eels' performances more so than a lot of other referees. I think you did a stat on that recently, forty about the uh, the referees that the Eels don't perform well under, and he was basically top 
H- historically, of one of the in terms of sample size to outcome, uh, one of our worst uh, men to have the or women now to have the uh, whistle in hand. Uh, okay, in but let, let's let's get to the obvious, which is okay. The the refereeing certainly wasn't any assistance for us in any way, shape, or form. Uh, it, it was it was tough to deal with. However. That would be masking over the things that the Eels are doing that are, that's wrong. I mean, we're talking about, what was it, six line breaks to two in the Eels' favour tonight. Yeah. And, and you end up with the Raiders scoring four tries to three on the basis of that. Yeah, at one point I think we just looked at each other when that stat came up on the big screen. Six line breaks to two and we had put away three of them. And I think one of our tries didn't even come off. Did any of our tries come up straight off a line break? I, I can't even remember at this point, but... We just can't put those chances away, and that's incredibly frustrating. It's, we're just shooting ourselves in the foot, and, and sometimes players just aren't there. Hayes Dunster seems to be a step off the pace at the moment, especially at the end. I think he was backing up on the inside from Penasini, and just, he just looked gassed. But all the players just weren't backing up and finishing off those chances at the moment. Yeah, and, and I guess that's one of the things as well. I'm sure that in the ideal world, the Eels rest Hayes Dunster at the moment because... He's clearly struggling with the knee injury. Like, he's, he hasn't come back this year. Um, we don't know if, if, you know, what medically how, how right he is. Is he playing at 90%? Is he playing at 80%? We don't know what it is. The most obvious thing is he can't keep up with the play at the moment. But, you know, the, we had that one moment where Hayes lost the ball tonight when he was tackled from behind. But we have to look, we have to look at some of the bigger picture right now. Junior Paulo's form. We're talking about an origin forward and the, the captain of the Samoan team that made it to the final of the World Cup. We'd be remiss if we didn't, if we didn't call out the fact that he is just not performing up to his standard yeah, from last year. In a time where the Eels were without their other top bookend in Reagan Campbell-Giward, you needed the big man to stand up and unfortunately... We've seen Wiramu Greg find some extra yardage, some extra gears as a starting bookend for the Eels. But on the flip side, Junior's just been so far below his best all season and especially in that window where the Eels needed him to be the man. And this was a game tonight where I was tipping him to, to That's have right. a big game because I expected his, club. His, his form had been down. His, you know, his, he'd be thinking about that. He'd be, his pride would be a bit hurt at the moment. He was playing against one of his, against his former club after spending, what was it, three, four years at the Raiders. Important game for the Eels. And what we basically end up with is Junior on report. And I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a week suspension out of that. Yeah, the MRC tend to be pretty harsh on those sort of tackles, even if there isn't that much in them. Uh, just mechanically, when you're in a hip drop crackdown sort of era... And you have a. It wasn't a. Cannon, a can, it, it wasn't a. Well, classic, he's been. He's been. It, he's probably been put on report. It, it for wasn't. A it wasn't a, like the classic cannonball, but the impact at the knee is always going to be looked at unfavourably. So I wouldn't be surprised uh, if or if out his services for a game or two. And obviously the other one too, Sean Lane, a hamstring, now a huge concern because he's a big man and ham is always a troublesome uh, injury to try and manage. Okay, so we've got Simonson on report as well for the hip drop. Yeah, that that one was. Like, okay, I, but what might be the fallout out of this game? We go into the match against the Rabbitohs. I can't see with, it. Without, without RCG, potentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, definitely. 
definitely without Sean Lane with a hamstring injury, potentially without Junior Paulo. And possibly. But, and, and possibly Simonson. Bailey Simonson. Now, I mean, what on earth is our pack going to look like for the game against the Rabbitohs? Well, I think in the packs, personally, I'm a big fan of uh, how Bryce Cartwright's going this season, so I'll be happy to see him hopefully back in the starting lineup. Uh, as for the centres, um, for me, I would have Hayes Dunster at centre. Brad seems to use him as a yardage man out from the back. And I'm not sure if there's question marks on Sean Russell's fitness at the moment, but I'd definitely have him on the, on the wing for next week. But yeah, Reg is a big one because something without Reg, that junior just can't seem to find his best football without Reg at the moment. Well, I think if we lose Simonson, it's probably um, Sean Russell's probably the only option for, for bringing well, up. It's, uh, I think in terms of top 30 or development contracted players, and obviously now uh, you can use second-tier players, but you'd be looking at Zach Sini beyond that. And, you know, we, we're looking at a team that has had issues defensively in the NRL, and that's probably been the big knock on Zach in reserve grade is he's doing plenty of the ball in hand, but he's also got his own problems defensively. So bringing him into an environment where the Eels are already on a net negative in defence is dubious. Well, our feedback was that uh, we were diabolical on that side of the field in the reserve grade. Well, they, the week before, they won 32-30, but bled most of their points down the right edge. And I don't think it was too much different this week with the 46-12 to hosing by the Canberra Raiders. Yeah. Now, tonight, uh, I, d- I just want to get back to this flow of how the game went. We're up 8-2. We get that call against uh, Bailey Simonson. Delayed for the call. Delayed, Delayed call. call. And it was on the last tackle. And this is, this is something I want to talk about, Craig, because it feels like the referees, and especially the bunker, because a lot of these calls are coming from the video box, they're having a hard time differentiating between a mechanically uh, like distinct uh, hip-drop tackle and tackles that accidentally become a hip-drop because a player gets flung around or you know, there's something else factoring to it. The Bailey Simonson tackle was not a hip-drop tackle mechanically. He got pulled across as the player ran to his right and then came down off crossing behind him without dropping the hips the way you see conventionally and he just rolled over the back of him by accident. Jeremy, it, like if someone said to you, showed you footage of is this a hip drop, not, not a hip drop, would you have the confidence to call whether it was or not? Honestly, at the, uh, at the moment, I have no idea. It seems to be, to me, the only interpretation I have is that when the player loses their feet, anything goes. So to me, a player has to keep their f- feet on the floor at all times. And when Simonson's getting beaten by the player, um, I know we say this all the time, but what is he supposed to do there? Because yeah, well, we're, we're in an iteration of the NRL where post-contact meters are prized by all teams. So the man of the ball in hand is always pushing and churning and fighting for post-contact meterage. And the defenders are sort of left to pull onto him sometimes. And mechanically, sometimes you just get pulled behind the player. And that's what we saw with Simonson. I think basically, for, for me, I, I think the only way the players are going to keep themselves out of trouble is that they can't use their own weight to pull backwards. The, the tackles have to be always driving forward. If, the, if in any way the, the action of the tackle goes back towards the, the so tackling is there, player... Is there an onus then on officials to quickly call held the instant that there is a loss of momentum in the tackle, like less, less so than forward momentum like stopping, if there is just a fraction of a stop, do you call held instantly? Well, you have a look at tonight's, and as Jeremy just said, what could Simonson have done there? Because it happens so quickly where he's making the tackle and the, the movement of the, of the ball runner has carried him 
sideways, which has caused him to lose his feet, and then he sort of swung himself and the player to the ground. And I'm not sure what level of contact was made anyway. It, was, it seemed like it was, it was more that they thought, hang on, this is a hip drop action. We well, better go back. Yeah, the, the player and got penalize. to his feet straight away to play the ball. There was no issue of injury. So I, I don't know what we're looking for. And they insist that it's not a witch hunt or a crackdown. But when you see stuff like that and other incidences across the NRL in the last couple of rounds, it makes you start wondering if it's a witch hunt and a crackdown. And just, just to add to that, how much of that is just coming from powers from above and then the bunker feeling mm-hmm. that they have to justify their job for player safety because. There's probably a handful of tackles out there where players aren't getting hurt and a similar motion's being made, but because the player gets up and plays the ball, we just play on. So from that standpoint, it's really frustrating. 60s, I know we spoke about the referees, but one of the things that we preach on the podcast, and one of the things you hear a lot from high-level professional sports is you can control what you can control. The referee wasn't something we could control today. It was a factor. A 10-free penalty count's always going to be a massive handicap. But what really upset me coming out of this game was our defence. And what really concerns me too is that you watch that game and structurally I don't think the Eels are actually that poor defensively. You look at our shapes, we're constantly getting man-to-man on the edges, what you want to see when you're playing you know, with a fullback in the back line sometimes. What we did see, however, was some absolutely insipid first-up contact. Yeah, and I wrote about this in Bumpers Up Through the Week where I, I did a bit of an analysis of the defence and I said that it's not a system, it doesn't seem like it's a system, a system problem. It's individual players that just aren't executing the old hit and stick. You know, that, that first up contact and hanging on just isn't happening. So technically there are players who are doing something very, very wrong. But then we come back to it and we, we brought up this stat before. Six line breaks to two. So the Raiders only made two line breaks to get their four tries. And obviously the Eels' scramble, as we spoke about pre-match, has been doing its job. The Eels are one of the, the best defensive teams in terms of not conceding line breaks, but we're conceding a lot of tries. So we're, we're doing something that's wrong where we're letting them get into good field position, passive line speed in the defence, so we mightn't be conceding a line break, but we're conceding too many metres, so the, the attacking team's getting into a position like we saw tonight, where we saw the Raiders score three tries off kicks. And that, that was something you said to me while we are watching the game here in Jack's Bar and Grill, that the Raiders had obviously done some homework on Gufferson. They picked him apart on the back with the ground game, with the grubber kicks on the ground game, and he got done in pretty badly in this one. Yeah, there was, there was no escaping the fact that they were looking for that short kick behind the ruck when Gutho was up defending in the line. But even, even when it was that last tackle and he was behind the line, he picked the wrong way to go. He was, he was well out of, the, out of the picture. So, yeah, I think Ricky Stewart had done his homework about what, you know, what was a, a, a potential scoring opportunity against the Eels. And we're, look, we're seeing this every week where the Eels are in the contest and we're shooting ourselves in the foot. Like we've lost the way of winning games. I mean, that's another single-digit loss in our season. It matches our season highs of margin of defeat against both the Roosters and the Brisbane Broncos. Only eight points in it, though. And that, that was with the late try conceded to Matt Tomoko there. So 
on the one hand, the Eels consistently find themselves in the contest, but it feels like they're miles away at times because of the way they're playing and the errors that they're inflicting upon themselves. I mean, in this game, we saw a knock-on from Gufferson right when the Eels had a big attacking opportunity. Uh, there was a couple of mistakes to a one-on-one strip after we had the short kickoff. I think it was... Uh, uh, Jamil, uh, Jamil. I think it was uh, Jermaine, Jermaine Hopgood, Jermaine got Hopgood stripped. Yeah. that got uh, stripped. And it, that's one of the ones that we hate to see where that f- like fall-off tackle, you can make an argument that it's sort of against the spirit of the rule when that one-on-one strip rule was first made. But that's a different kettle of fish to talk about later. Uh, but yeah, the Eels just... Again, we talked about those offensive data points in the pregame where we're putting ourselves in positions to win and should be winning by margins. You look at where we are offensively in isolation and we're very, very good, but collectively when you put in the inability to finish those attacking opportunities, again, six line breaks to two, and you couple that with some really poor physicality and defence, and it's no wonder that all these slim margins of defeat are starting to escape our hands. Okay, so let's rip the Band-Aid off right now. The South game next week. Uh, it, it, right now, we're four and seven, but I've already put us down as four and eight. Yeah, Jeremy? Look, uh, I don't think we've beaten Souths in who knows how long. They've, uh, it's a few still, years. Yeah, I've had nightmares since that 2020 uh, yeah. finals game. <laughs> so not really looking forward to that one at the moment, especially the South's left side. We just can't seem to handle them at all. So not looking forward to that one at all. So apologies for some choppiness in the post-game recording. We've had to pause the podcast and then listen to the live post-game presser. And it's actually a watershed moment, boys, because Brad Arthur, who is legendary for his refusal to criticise officials, even in some games in his, what, uh, eight-and-plus-year tenure now at Parramatta where the Blue and Gold have been hosed, has actually come out swinging at the officials today, citing internal reports, the, uh, what was the uh, compliance report that the referees in the NRL give to clubs stating that the Eels are always one of the highest, you know, compliant teams when it comes to officials' benchmarks. Also citing Parramatta's game against the Penrith Panthers where they won the game against the best team in the competition, the back-to-back premiers, on their discipline, on a club that has been the most disciplined club up until this week. He comes out saying that a 10-3 penalty count isn't right. There were calls that weren't right. Uh, Hayes Dunster hit high on a line break, losing the ball. But on the flip side, the Canberra Raiders are set later, hit high, I use inverted commas, losing the ball. They get the penalty, the Eels don't. Yeah, and that's what we were talking about, wasn't it? That you can, you can cop certain penalties, but when it, something happens that's exa- identical almost or, or very similar from the other team, All you want and it doesn't fall your, way, mm-hmm. uh, fall your way. But look, I must admit, I'm, I'm actually stunned that BA has come out and said that because he's notorious for not wanting to get into decisions made during a match, penalty counts, referees. I've spoken to him about this. I've spoken to the other coaches about this at Parramatta. They're not interested in getting into any public debates about penalties because they want the players to be focusing on what they can control, as we, as we were talking about. He doesn't want any focus put on referees. Doesn't want any excuse for players. But we started this podcast tonight talking about the significance of a 10-3 penalty count. And we have got into all the things that the Eels aren't doing well. Or maybe not all, but it's quite a number of them. We're not, we're not throwing the blame at a 10-3 penalty count. But you can't ignore the impact of a 10-3 penalty count. 
and I think, as, as you said, it's almost a watershed moment. The BA's called it out. Jeremy, what was your reaction as you were watching and listening to BA go on about the penalties? Look, I, I want to say, um, first of all, I'm really surprised and I'm actually really happy that he's actually come out and said that. Um, and there's just two penalties that stick to my mind at the moment. The junior Paulo one in the first half, where there was, as he said, there was no force in that and it was put on report and they got a penalty off that. And then the one that really finished the game for me was when we had th three plays in the tackle. I think it was Tarpany just dropped the ball and they gave a penalty for that one. No one had a hand on the ball there and it's a Raiders penalty. So to me, that, was, that last one was ridiculous. But it was interesting here that we were the most disciplined team in, in the comp. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, well, we, in terms of penalties conceded, we were penalised a bit more last week, which I think took so, us from being the leading club in terms of penalties conceded to the second leading club. Last year, we were the leading club. 17 in the last two games, though. The least penalised team in the comp last year. And this has been something that BA has worked on for years well, and years. We, we, we talk about it every week with the ruck speed report. The Eels deliberately give up ruck speed to their opposition in order to not give away penalties for the big chunk, uh, chunk yardage or meterage losses in field ter and territorial battles. So, yeah, to see Brad come out and swing at the refs there, you've got to imagine this has been a long time building. He referenced those compliance reports, the internal data and the internal feedback that the NRL and the referees give to clubs. And I imagine that the Eels have been attacking, I, I say attacking, communicating through the right channels for years. For years, John, and you know what? I've lost count of the number of times that I've found out apologies that have been made to the Eels over mistakes. Maybe not apologies, but admissions. Admissions that the referees had made mistakes in games. And it's gone through the official channels. It's never been anything that's been brought up in press conferences. It's never been anything that BA's talked about afterwards. Nothing's ever come out from the club about significant mistakes that have been made by officials. Now, I'm not saying if, that there were mistakes made by officials tonight. I'm not going to blame the referees for the, what the Eels didn't do well. But you cannot have a 10-3 penalty count and expect to be winning a game of football against a team that was playing like the Raiders were playing tonight. And we have to give credit to the Raiders because they played well. Five straight for them too, so they're in good form. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I think it's a, I, I, I think it's a really significant moment that BA's come out with this statement tonight. Um, Mate, how do we wrap this up? Well, personally, just going off the penalties, I think it's really disappointing that we, went, we actually were in a position to win that game despite the refereeing and despite having all the injuries and our halfback out. We're actually in a position to win that game and we just didn't put our chances away. Yeah, uh, look, I think that sums it up that, because that's probably been the story of the Eels' season so far. Not icing their mm -hmm. chances. Um, and, but just again, onto that penalty count, we average, and I'll repeat it, it's 4.9 penalties per game against us. Tonight was 10. Seven, 10. seven last week, so... And, and, it was, and it was something like six in the first half. So in the first half alone... We'd broken our, our per yeah. game, comfortably broken our per game, conceded penalty count. So. And I think it was 6-3 at half time. so it was 4-0 in the second half. Yeah. So all the flow was going the Raiders' way, the repeat possessions, everything like that. We acknowledge that the Eels were not good enough, were not good enough to... Um, get over or to defend errors. They weren't good enough to defend penalties. They weren't good enough, period, tonight. But 
I put it to you this way. If the penalty count was 10-3 the other way, what would we be talking about tonight? Oh, Parramatta win, 100%. Yeah, but it's, again, that, that, that does no good for the Eels when they're, they're lining up against the South Sydney Rabbitohs this week. Maybe, just judging from what BA says, if, if Junior is given a sentence where there's a suspension, you get the feeling the Eels would look to defend it? I mean, I understand where you're coming from, but given Parramatta and in particular Junior's history with the judiciary, I'd be very scared. Uh, but yeah, uh, we got... Jeremy, very... I mean, would you, if you're Junior Paulo, would you be defending it? Uh, I know he's got a track record at the judiciary, but I think definitely there was no force in that. And I know injury always plays a part, but there's no force in that. And he's still fighting to go forwards and tackle. So I think Junior's got a good case for this one. I mean, I agree. But again, just Parramatta's history, there's been other cases where we fought what I thought were clear-cut downgrades or get-off cases. And unfortunately for the Eels, it almost never has worked out. Even when we hire the same staff that other clubs hire that get the uh, successful downgrades. So I wouldn't, I would be going with bated breath if we cop a charge and contest it. Well, fellas, I think that just about wraps up all that we can possibly it's say a, about tonight's game. Yeah, another, another loss, um, another wasted opportunity to, to get the season uh, up and running. The genuine um, risk now that we go, that will be four and eight next week. Um, the, we can't avoid no, thinking that that's, a, that's it's a, a, a likely outcome. Short, it's a fast turnaround now, six days to South Sydney. They're the form team of the competition who, even if you just dis- didn't consider that, we're their bunnies, ironically, given that it's the South Sydney Rabbitohs. Uh, we got injury concerns, suspension concerns. Uh, we got players out of form. Not just this week, but moving forwards, it is now a serious challenge for players, coaching staff, training staff and conditioning staff. They've got to find something. I don't know what it is. Bit of fire in the belly. Get these boys back playing some physical football because structurally, like we said, it, it's not the problem for the Eels, but they're being very soft. And that, that's what really makes me sad previewing and reviewing these games is we're watching a team that we know prides itself on its physicality and they're playing soft. Jeremy, mate, thanks for coming in tonight. Thanks for joining us up here. Taking the tough hit-ups. <laughs> Happy, uh, happy to do the tough yards uh, when no one wants to play at this time of the year. So <laughs> pleasure, pleasure being on with you boys. No Absolutely, I call it the dirty meters. That's isn't right. It? That's it. You That's know, it. The, from uh, from a on defence into into trying to ruck the ball down. So you've done the dirty meters tonight, setting up the big go forward for the prop behind you. Someone's got to do the hard work. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thank you, everyone, for coming along tonight. And go you eels. <laughs>